Ian Mason, he is Gautham, and we're here to talk about the most riveting division in Major League Baseball. That's right, we're talking about the American League Central. Wait, did I say riveting? Yeah, I'm riveted. Mm. Let's go. All right, well, we're going to be riveted, so everyone buckle up, because we're off for a wild ride today. Uh, spring training has begun. So pitchers and catchers have reported. I think that means we have to start actually doing our jobs now, uh, which is tell you about baseball and things that are happening currently in baseball and what to expect. So that's what we're here for today. We're doing the first of six division previews. Um, and we are going to be trying to change it up over the next six weeks uh, as we go from division to division. We're going to start in the American League Central. So, Gowie, before we do that, how are you? What's going on? You got anything you want to tell the people? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, we got baseball games here in about 10 days, first, first spring games. Uh, pitchers and catchers reporting uh, over this week. and. You know, baseball is right around the corner, and we've got uh, warm weather coming, too. It's already been incredibly warm here, and I'm pretty sure it's been messing quite physically with my, or quite literally with my head. Uh, I've been dealing with migraines the last, like, two days. It has been awful. Ugh. But it'll cool back down on Friday, be cold as crap for the next weekend, and then warm back up again. So, yeah, we're supposed to get, like, seven and a half inches on Thursday or something. Of snow? Yeah. Gross. I do not want to live there. Um, all right. Well, we got just a couple things that we need to uh, clear up before we get going into the main topics of today. And first off is that if you enjoy this podcast uh, and any of our content, please make sure to like and subscribe on all your favorite podcasting apps and YouTube. On YouTube, you got to make sure to hit the little notification bell so that you see every uh, video that we post. You may be confused if you're looking for baseball card videos and no longer find them on at Getaway Day Pod. That is because I have spun off a secondary channel to start posting more frequent baseball card videos. And there's been some bangers on there. You guys definitely want to go check that out. I mean, I've got a stack of cards literally that big of just my hits from the last like three weeks. Um, hold on, I could actually show you. Uh, this is my stack of hits from the last three weeks. That is not including any of the base. Uh, it's been quite fun. So go check that out. We got a lot of good stuff coming up tomorrow. Just so happens to be the release day of Top Series 1 2023. You might want to pay attention. Um, so, yeah, so that's there. Uh, you can follow us on all of our social medias at Getaway Day Pod. Um, Make sure to leave us a review. Uh, help us get the name of the podcast out there a little bit. Get some reviews. Help us get some uh, listeners as we are pushing to grow here in 2023. Um, so if you could help us out by interacting with any of our social posts or uh, share them with your friends, we would really appreciate that. I think that is all of the housekeeping. Am I missing anything? I think you, you nailed it. Perfect. All right. Now let's get to the baseball. Uh, we got some this week in baseball that we need to get to before we get to the American League Central. And I think the first thing that we should do is uh, yell at the clouds about something that really angers us. Um, 
that would be that old man Manfred has decided. And I guess technically the competition committee decided that we're keeping the Manfred man forever. Uh, except in the postseason. So I, I'm so confused. I thought this was going away. I thought that it was only there last year because of the shortened spring. And they're like, we don't have time to get everybody stretched out fully. So we shouldn't like make them play extra baseball, but it'll be gone in 2023. And yeah. now we've just a- decided to keep it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of the uh, runner on second to start extra innings rule at all. It completely changes uh, the strategy, which is not necessarily a bad thing in itself, but the novelty of long extra inning games is gone. And well, some of and- the most, most fun games you'll ever see um, are those extremely long games. And it's not like they happen every week. There's something that, that happens like a few times over the course of the season. So I feel like it's not it's not really attacking a problem that exists in baseball at all. Well, and my biggest problem with it is it reminds me a lot of the NFL's overtime rules where they just don't really make sense. It benefits you if you're the first team with the opportunity to score. Because in the NFL, if you score a touchdown on the opening drive of overtime, game's over. You win. The other team doesn't even get a chance. Obviously, you get a chance to hit in the bottom of the 10th in baseball, but I'm pretty sure statistically over the last couple of years, the team that hits first in the extra innings games with the runner on second has won like 70% of the time or something stupid. And um, on top of that, just the the scoring, it skyrockets um, in those extra innings versus in the regular innings. I think it was like on average, there was like, four runs per game or 4.3 runs per game roughly in regular innings last year. And then it was like seven or eight in extra innings. Yeah, I think it was like nine runs per game in extra innings or something. Yeah, so it's not even the same game. It's it's like, I understand that they want to shorten extra innings games, but it just, it feels like this is not the way to do it. And they're just doing what the NFL did when they made those overtime rules. And they're just like, you know what? It shortened the game. We're sticking with it. Right. And, and it just tells me that they they don't care about regular regular season games. Like for some reason it's like a thing that they wanna get done with really quickly. But why? Who, yeah, it's who like the first it's like the first three quarters of the NBA season. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's there. People pay money to go. Awesome. They get ticket sales, but they don't care. They just want to get to the postseason because they get a lot higher TV revenue and stuff. But uh, some other rules that uh, have been changed here um, on top of the rules that we've already discussed this uh, this offseason um, position players pitching has been changed a little bit here. So if I'm not mistaken, position players can only pitch in extra innings. Or in the ninth inning, if your team is down by eight or more, or in the ninth inning when your team is up by 10 or more, I believe those are the rules. So we will not be able to see like the Albert Pujols appearance last year, the Adier Molina appearance last year. Those won't happen. We won't Um, see Hanser Alberto get to 11 games and pitch uh, to a four point something ERA with the Dodgers last year. 
it, it is just the ninth inning, right? Uh, yes. And yeah. extra innings. Okay. Yeah, because um, comment here in chat that was any inning if you're down by eight, but I think that was last year's rules, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so they've they've changed it this year to only the ninth inning, which honestly I kind of like, um, just from the standpoint of I'm not really there. Oh, okay, to, so it is if you're trailing by um, eight at any point in the game. Oh, it is. Can, yeah. Okay, so I I think I misunderstood the uh, graphic here the other day. Then um, this is why they just shouldn't change rules on me because it makes it hard to figure out. I already knew what they were. Um, but yeah, so I guess we could technically see some of these appearances, but um, Hans or Alberto is not likely to get any if he's still in the Dodgers because uh, when are they going to lose by? Oh, well, he might get to be uh, appear in some games then. I don't know. But I was going to say, I don't anticipate the Dodgers being down by eight very often. So. If he were still there, probably not going to happen. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, also, as part of some of these other rule changes that they're making, uh, there's not really anything uh, like much to talk about here. But Major League Baseball did uh, put out a thing today that said that the uh, balk rules, they're actually going to look very, very strictly at box and try and enforce them a lot more in order to uh, improve the pace of play. Not sure that i really fully understand that i feel like more people on base more runners getting around is gonna slow the game a little bit still but i i don't make the decisions so i mean the ball rule is really confusing and i barely understand it myself so if they bring any clarity to clarity to it and make it something that's cut and dry like we enforce it in this way that would be a change for the better and hopefully that's what they're trying to do but i guess i don't know the specifics of how they're going to be changing how they're enforcing it i guess i kind of doubt that they know at this point i think it's one of those that they're going to say we're going to do this and then they're going to get to it and they're going to go uh we should have thought about this a little bit more because like yeah i mean it's a rule in the book so Technically, you should probably enforce it, but if it's a confusing rule that you don't understand yourself, it's kind of hard to enforce. So, um, see, we got a couple of players that have been uh, getting some extensions and changing hands here. So, uh, you want to tell us here a little bit about Bo Bichette and the Toronto Blue Jays agreement? Yeah, so Bo Bichette agreed to a three-year. $33.6 million deal to buy out the remaining years of arbitration. The Blue Jays and Bichette were sort of far apart this year in exchanging their arbitration numbers. So they, they made a deal and uh, now basically the Blue Jays are happy about it because they, they have a fixed price for Bo's next three years before he reaches free agency. They've got that certainty and there's no chance that they have to pay him like way more like if he continues the trajectory that he's on he probably would have made a lot more money if he'd just gotten year to year um but then obviously Bichette gets the security of the three-year contract and he's going to be a huge free agent if he if he does reach free agency he's going to get a massive deal um 
Maybe yeah, so, just wanted that certainty right now, though. So I was actually reading a little bit of an article from Sportsnet uh, Toronto, and the uh, Bo had basically said he didn't actually really care about the dollar amount, like, eh, whatever. The biggest thing for him was seeing that the Blue Jays actually valued him and valued him as a player on their team. And so um, he was quoted as saying, like, uh, I mean, I probably could have got I could have got a lot more if I would have um, gone through arbitration. But it's a kind of a broken process that doesn't really make a ton of sense because you've got uh, front office and players going at each other, trying to get what they want money wise. And then they're supposed to come back and work together to try and win a championship. So it just doesn't really make sense. And so he didn't want to go through that. Um, and he's like, I just wanted them to show or to say, or tell me that they value me. And so them giving him a three-year deal at $11.2 million a year. Yeah. He's probably worth more than that, but it showed that they valued him enough to go and, and reach that agreement a week before what could have potentially got them a significantly better um, number for the year. Yeah, so, that's a really interesting perspective. I had not thought about it from that angle, but yeah, it makes sense to avoid some of the nastiness that can come out of the arbitration process. Yeah. So, and that was direct from Bo's mouth. Um, obviously, I kind of butchered some of the quotes, maybe a little bit, but the sentiment was direct from his mouth. Um. Yeah. And then we did see a trade here this week as well between the Miami Marlins and the Oakland A's. Um, and another, that one. Another Marlins trade that I'm not quite sure what they're going for here, but they basically traded for AJ Puck, who's a really talented pitcher who's been injured a lot. And he seems like he's a relief pitcher now. Uh, and then they gave up. Uh, AJ Bleday, who yeah, was their first round, round pick in 2020. 2019, I think. 2019, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a big J.J. Blade guy. I actually have his first Bowman Sapphire in, the, in my case here. Like, from a card collecting standpoint, I don't like that trade. That just tanked his value. Um, but, no, it was, uh, trade's interesting. I don't, I don't understand it. What, yeah. what are the what are the Marlins doing here? Like JJ is an outfielder that was potentially gonna well he was gonna be up this year uh, at some point. Like, I, why trade for another pitcher who had starting starting pitcher potential similar to Jesus Luzardo who's also on their team, uh, but Puck got injured a lot, ended up going to the bullpen, and just from a longevity standpoint, that's pretty much where he's stuck so how does this make any sense i guess they don't really have that much faith in blade who's really struggled pretty much like every level that he's been at didn't really play that well at the major league level i guess they're they're kind of saying hey we like brian de la cruz and um our other young outfielders better than uh blade want to chase take a chance on puck maybe they think they can make him back into a starter because then the deal makes a lot more sense yeah if they can stretch him back out and figure out how to um how to keep him on the field yeah that probably makes a ton more sense but i don't know we'll see how it pans out for him this year um i mean jj has a, a shot at coming up to the majors pretty quick then uh with uh, oakland oh, if yeah. he can play it play decent at triple a to start the year 
because they have nobody except Ramon Laureano. That's they pretty much the that they traded for in these recent deals. Uh, they traded and, for Estoril Ruiz, traded for Christian Pache, now JJ Blade, all these outfielders that have not shown the ability to hit at all. Yeah, I was going to say, none of them have locked down a spot, though. So it's like you've got a lot of guys who are fighting for about two spots. Yeah. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh, they're going, it seems, for quantity over quality, but they're getting guys who used to be highly valued prospects. So it's kind of it's like they're they're trying to refurbish prospects is what it seems. Um, they see that there is talent there and they're just trying to get it unlocked. So maybe it'll work out for them. But uh, anything else in this week in baseball? No. Nope. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the American League Central preview. So this is the first of six division previews. Uh, we are starting with what we. Um, Kind of projecting would maybe be the least successful division is maybe the <laughs> nice way to say it. Um, but no, there's there's some really, really interesting talking points here in the American League Central, but it's definitely not at the same level of competition is like the uh, National League West, the American League East. Um, but so where do we want to start? I'll let you start choose. The White Sox. The White Sox? Lots of things right. to say about the White Sox. All right. What do you got? Hit me with it. So White Sox really underperformed last year uh, under Tony La Russa. He's no longer with the team. They got a new direction uh, with Pedro Griffol as their um, skipper. And the biggest thing with the White Sox is they had a lot of injuries last year again, and they had a lot of underperformances. So guys like uh, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, uh, Eloy Jimenez, they all played less than 100 games each. Um, there were some really bad seasons by guys like uh, Yasmani Grandal, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kopech kind of had a rough year coming back from his injury. Um, just things didn't really go that great for the White Sox. And from, from like a top-level view of this team, they still have all those star-level players or near-star-level players still on this team. That's the good part of it. So if those guys get back to playing healthy and get back to their regular level of performance, you could definitely see the White Sox doing better. But I haven't mentioned any of the issues with this club yet. So just from what you've said already, does this remind you a little bit of the 2021 to 2022 Minnesota Twins? Yeah, because the Twins also had a ton of injuries in 2021. And just a flat-out horrific season in 2021. Like, as a team, they were just awful. Yeah, and that just came out of nowhere because in 2021, the Twins were projected to be near the top of the division, I'm pretty sure. And they just, like, fell flat on their face. And we were saying, like, the Twins really aren't that bad. They're going to be better this next year. And they absolutely were. They they still obviously faltered down the stretch and everything. But, yeah, I kind of see – similarities to this White Sox team in terms of the top top tier like top end talent they have it they have Lucas Giolito they have Dylan Cease Lance Lynn at the top of the rotation and then the guys uh, I mentioned Robert Jimenez Anderson on yeah. offense 
So um, this team, to me, it it comes down to a couple things. One, how are they going to mesh with uh, the new manager? Uh, And two, how is that new manager going to deal with uh, some of the weak points in the lineup? Because their their weak points are, are, well, depth for one. Uh, They still don't really have a true right fielder. Gavin Sheets, while he's played right field last year, and is slated to play there again, he's really more of a DH first base type. Um, but they have a ton of those. Uh, they don't have a second baseman. I think, uh, who is it? Romy Gonzalez, I think, is slated to be their second baseman this year. So, yep. eh. um, and yeah, and then uh, DH, I mean, if Aloy is their DH, they're probably in good shape there. Keep him on the field a little bit more often not have to worry about that noodle he calls a throwing arm. Um, So, like, from that standpoint, this should be a better team. But how they feel second and right and what they do with some of their pitching depth, I think, is maybe their their key to success here. Yeah. So. So we we talked about, like, the White Sox from an optimistic perspective just now in these last few minutes about how they can rebound. It really wouldn't be that difficult to see, but what did they actually do over the off season to improve the team? So they brought in Andrew Benatendi, who is an actual outfielder. I think other than Luis Robert, this is the first actual outfielder that they have put on their roster in what seems like 150 years. Um, More realistically, probably two. I think Adam Engel probably counted as an outfielder at one point. Um, a couple other guys like that. But um, this is the first guy who is defensively a good outfielder and is not a complete liability with a bat. Um, so bringing in Andrew Benatendi is huge for this team. Um, I think he's probably got some of those leadership skills that maybe they're going to need uh, with the big guy in Jose Abreu. Uh, heading down to Houston this year. So I would World love Series to see champion. how that's going. Yeah. World Series champ. Yeah, no. So I agree. This team needs a guy like Ben Tendy to help them with the defense. And the side benefit is that Andrew Vaughn can now play his natural position at first base. The bad news is there's no more Jose Abreu. That's a major bat in the lineup that they're missing. And they haven't really filled that spot. Like they haven't filled backfield that bad in the lineup because Ben Intendi, while he's a decent offensive player, he's not like, he's no Jose Abreu. He's not going to give you 20 plus bombs and, you know, driving a bunch of runs and everything. That's true. I think they are expecting a little bit more development out of Andrew Vaughn. And to be honest, there's more development in his bat too, because you saw how he came from 21 to 22 um, he raised his average, well, so I guess first of all, um, 470 plate appearances in 2021, 555 in 2022. So pretty comparable as far as plate appearance standpoint. He raised his batting average by about 35 points. He raised his OBP by about 12 points. He raised his slug by about 30 points between his rookie and sophomore seasons. Um, now getting him to where he's at a, a defensive position where he's not necessarily stressing as much about um, making sure he doesn't screw up. Because when you're playing an unnatural position, that's probably going through your head quite a bit, right? It's like, don't screw up. 
So now he's in a natural position for him, probably going to give him some more confidence. And I wouldn't be surprised to see his bat continue to improve him, get that K rate um, down to closer to where it was in the minors. He was down to 17, three last year. If he could get that walk rate back up to about where it was in, um, in the minors and in 2021, I mean, Andrew Vaughn is, is going to be phenomenal. So maybe they're expecting him to take those steps and be able to be the replacement for Abreu, at which point, yeah, you're taking a step down from, um, instead of going and saying Andrew Benatendi has to be Jose Abreu, all you're saying is Andrew Benatendi has to be 2022 Andrew Vaughn, which is still a stretch, but it's a lot closer than, than being the former MVP. Totally, yeah. Totally agree on Vaughn. Um, now we come to the issue with the White Sox that they did not address this offseason. And those were, you mentioned it earlier, second base and uh, right field. They don't really have a guy to take either of those spots. And and the, the second base problem has been going on for like multiple years now, and they still haven't seemed to address that. They've been going through guys like Leury Garcia, Romy Gonzalez. Who, Josh like, Harrison, every, Billy Hamilton, I think, played second for a little bit. Yeah, like, like they've tried everything there, but they've never put a true, like, good option out there. And they still didn't address that this offseason. So they're almost in a worse, worse position now. Um, yeah. And then the starting pitching, uh, they also have a depth issue there. I was just looking through their minor league system to try, try to see – Okay, we got our five starters. They're pretty solid. Uh, but what happens if one of those guys gets hurt or one of those guys struggles or whatever? Or the one of the guys guy, gets put on the exempt list very, very soon. Right, yeah. The, the Mike Clevenger situation is hanging over this team right now with him being under, invest, under investigation uh, for uh, domestic violence. So that's... Yeah a big, big issue with this team. And the next guys up are like guys like Davis, Martin, Jonathan Stever, AJ, Alexi, Sean Burke. Like they are not uh, top tier prospects that people know the names of. So I see a major depth issue with the starting pitching for the White Sox. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a pretty big issue. And, and with Michael Kopech having kind of the injury history that he does, obviously like Tommy John is, kind of a freak thing it, it but, is and it's not and, but and this year he's coming off a, a knee surgery in the offseason so he's got another injury he's dealing with yeah so like you've got quite a few uh quite a few guys with question marks um and, and yeah they they don't really have an in-house answer for those so are they going to go out and try and sign another starter here before the season gets going? Um, now that we're in spring, people have reported there are still guys left out there. I mean, heck, Michael Waka just signed today, I think, or yesterday um, with the with the Padres. So there's guys left um, that could help add to the depth of this team. Um, but they got to pull the trigger on someone. So. Now, what I will say, though, back to the right field issue, they do have a couple of internal options that they're going to try out this year. Um, so one, they're going to leave Gavin Sheets, but they do have two prospects who are both out of Cuba, have been in the U.S. for a year or two, um, a year for Oscar Colas, two years for um, 
Yoaki Cespedes. Yes, Yoaki Cespedes. I I was gonna say Junior Severino, and it's like, no, that's not right. Um, but yeah, Yoaki Cespedes. Both those guys are at spring training uh, with the team. Um, one of them has a pretty good shot of making the club on opening day and being the right fielder. So, um, and they are both naturally right fielders. So it would be a little bit of an upgrade from a defensive standpoint over Gavin Sheets. Defensively, but we don't know if we can hit yet. Yeah. So that's kind of the questions that we've got there. Like they have a potential solution. How's that solution going to pan out? But. All right. Any other notes on the White Sox? There's one more quick thing. I think their bullpen's really good. They're they're going to miss Liam Hendricks. We don't know how long he's going to be out, but. The rest of this bullpen is just fantastic. Guys like Kendall Graveman, Aaron Bummer, uh, Reynaldo Lopez is a dominant reliever after he's moved away from starting. I mean, it's just, it's a deep bullpen, so it should help them stay in games. And if the starting staff stays healthy too, like the pitching is overall, it's a strong part of the team. It's just not particularly deep on the starting side. Yeah. They got the wild card, Joe Kelly. Gotta yeah. love it. All right. So, yeah, so uh, this White Sox team is is definitely interesting. I think you had listed here their Zips projection for wins this year is about 74. And to be honest, this is a team that is definitely better than 74 wins. I could also see them only being a 74-win team. It really just depends on how this all gels. I mean, there's so many questions. It's It's dependent on health. It's dependent on if they solve the second base right field problem. It depends on how well they all mesh with the new manager, how he handles the the bullpen, etc. So I I I get why they're projecting 74 wins, but I wouldn't be surprised if this were a above 500 team either. Like it's an incredibly talented team. They just tend to have some issues occasionally. So all right, so what do you say we move on to last year's American League Central champion? Yeah, let's do it. Talk some Guardians. All right, so the Cleveland Guardians, uh, they came out of last year kind of surprising everybody, I think, with how well they performed with the roster that they had. I don't think anyone thought that this team would be able to win, what do they win, 88 games? Ish, like um, with basically zero power. And, and they did it. They were basically the first team to go back to putting the bat on the ball and playing small ball and scoring runs. And uh, they did it behind Stephen Kwan, um, Jose Ramirez, uh, Andres Jimenez had a breakout season. Um, Ahmed Rosario continued to play really well. And, and defensively, they were great. Their pitching was great. And that's how they were able to do what they did. Now, looking into this year, they did decide to go out and address what they didn't have last year, and that was power. Um, not the flashiest moves in the world, but they went out and got Josh Bell to, I assume, man first base, and then uh, brought in Mike Zanino as, um, as their catcher uh, to come in and uh, add some pop on that side of the, of the uh, or that spot in the rotation, not rotation, lineup. There we go. Um, my words aren't working today, but yeah, so, uh, 
those are there outside of the um, outside of the organization additions. But this year is probably going to be pretty similar to last year, I would assume, and that they're going to be calling up a lot of young guys and putting a lot of um, responsibility in how this team performs on guys like this year's going to be Bo Naylor, Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, Brian Rocio, Daniel Espino, George Valera. Like, I don't understand how they have a never-ending pool of prospects. Like, I know we talk about it all the time. They seem to have every middle infield prospect in the history of ever. And somehow they all turn out pretty solid. Like, how how does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think we've been waiting for some of these guys for years now. And now they all seem that like they're all at the same upper levels of the minors. And they're going to be debuting these guys throughout the season. Uh, and, actually, and some of them, like Bo Naylor, have already debuted. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but I was just talking about the White Sox lack of depth in starting pitching. The, the Guardians have just unbelievable depth in their starting rotation. They've got five major league caliber starters that are going to start the season. If any of them falters, if any of them gets injured, they've got a whole swath of uh, major league ready starting pitchers. Some of the guys got starts last year, guys like Xavier uh, Curry, uh, Cody Morris, Connor Pilkington, Hunter Gaddis. Those guys all pitch at the major league level, and they, are, they all did really well. So all the guys that Cleveland brings up um, are really – I really trust that they're going to be able to perform at the major league level pretty much right away because that's what they've been doing for years now, been taking guys that weren't the biggest draft prospects uh, coaching them up, developing them, whatever, and they they shoot through these systems, the system, and and come up and they're contributors basically from day one. Um, yeah, we we saw it with Tristan McKenzie. We saw it with Shane Bieber. We saw it with Zach Plezak before he decided to just be mid at best. Um, like, yeah, they've been doing that for years. Yeah. So why would we expect it to stop now, especially with some of these guys like Daniel Espino? who is, just has talent coming out the butt. Yeah, like he is, he is the definition of a number one starter potential pitcher. Um, he's got everything. Like He's got the wide repertoire, great velocity, uh, all the pitching smarts you could ever ask for. So if, if he can stay healthy, there's no way he's not impacting the Guardians this season. And then behind uh, him, they've got other top prospects like um, – Gavin Williams, Tanner Beebe. Um, it's it's going to be awesome to see these guys uh, get to the majors. And I think Plesak and Aaron Savali actually need to look over their shoulders. If they don't pitch well, they're going to lose their jobs real quick. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that Plesak's still there in general. Yeah, he could like, not going, have a long leash here. Like going back to 2020, just with some of the off-field stuff, and then with kind of his on-field performance degrading over the last couple of years, I'm surprised that he didn't go out with like Will Benson, Noah Miller, and Nolan Jones to make room for some of these other guys. If anything, I think they're just trying to rebuild his value a little bit so they can trade him. Probably. So, but, yeah. So the uh, this, this Guardians team though this is uh, this is going to be a pretty tough team to beat this year. I mean, I made the mistake last year of saying that they were going to suck. I'm not doing it again. I have learned my lesson. 
I Cleveland is they're what the A's want to be. I, I don't like that I'm comparing them to the A's because it means they don't spend any money. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're what the Oakland A's want to be. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they've been pretty successful with it. So I, I'd expect them to continue the same. They're probably the team to beat in the division. Now, could they be beat? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's um, the, what, what are you worried about with this team? Like, what's the downside risk? The downside risk is that some of these uh, these guys don't necessarily pan out, some of these young prospects. So they still don't really have, uh, uh, other than Stephen Kwan, they don't really have a true outfielder who you're really scared of. Uh, a guy that you look at in the lineup and you're like, yes. Because they have Miles Straw, who defensively, phenomenal. Offensively, I, I mean, you might as well just put in a scarecrow. It's going to be about the same thing. Um, right field... They also don't really have anybody there. Yeah, Oscar Gonzalez, who played. Really oh, that's well true. Last year, they do so. have Oscar Gonzalez. I, I yeah, forgot. That he has awful t- plate discipline, but very fun player. Great uh, walk-off music. SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. Yeah, but then you're also expecting like Oscar Gonzalez and Stephen Kwan to be able to repeat what they did last year. And I think Stephen Kwan kind of came out of nowhere. Granted, his his skills seem like they're skills that aren't just going to disappear. So not terribly concerned about it. Like if it were a guy who didn't hit any home runs in the minors and then all of a sudden he hit 20 home runs like Tommy Edmond did back in 2019 or whatever that was, I would maybe be a little more concerned. But there is still a lot of are people going to be able to live up to what they've done in the past in order to keep this team going? J-Ram, not a problem. Everyone else on the hitting side, they're probably going to be able to do it, but they won't uh, 100% guaranteed. Yeah, so, I definitely agree with that. I'll just add on uh, Andres Jimenez, another guy that totally had a breakout last year. It's probably real, but... He also just put up like a six four season, so you can't really bank on that happening again exactly the same way. Yeah. So um I think kind of on the other side of this division though. Uh, they're they're trying to be the same, but the complete other side of this is the Kansas City Royals, right? Because this is another team that has a really young core. Guys like Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez, Vinny Pascantino, Michael Massey. Uh, I think Drew Waters now, Kyle Isbell, like the list goes on. They've got a whole bunch of guys that are between the ages of 22 and 26. Those are all legitimately like really interesting players. It's a, that, it's a pretty cool core young it, talent. It is. I'm, I'm really, really interested in that. And I, my problem is that some of those guys, we don't really know too much about like Drew Waters was a really big A's prospect for a long time. Then he got traded for, what did I say? A's. Oh. Oops. Yes. I was thinking the uh, the A logo. My bad. Um, yes. Braves prospect. His uh, former other top prospect teammate, Christian Pache, went to the A's. There, there we go. Um, but yeah, so Drew Waters, kind of another one of those light hitting center fielder guys. Um, maybe not amazing. Um, they do still have Sal Perez. And so on the offensive side of the ball, this is a really interesting team. Then we get to the 
Achilles <laughs> everything. So um, you're about to just let out the biggest sigh for their pitching staff. Yeah. Um, Zach Greinke's cool. still there. He's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, but Jordan Lyles, Brad Keller, Ryan Yarbrough, and then Brady Singer, who admittedly could very well break out. He started to last year. He the breakout at the second half of last year. He's the one young starting pitcher that's like sort of panned out in some positive way for the team. All the other first round picks that they've had, extreme struggles for all of them, basically. Yeah, because we've already seen everybody from Daniel Lynch to uh, Chris Bubich to Jackson Cowar to uh, who's uh, Cesar Hernandez, Carlos Carlos Hernandez. Hernandez. Carlos yeah. Hernandez, who is in the bullpen, actually. Carlos Hernandez is. But the rest of them are all at AAA. Yeah. Like, the they have, they're not even they slated five, for the rotation. Yeah. They had five first rounders in 2018. One of them is in the majors. Yeah, that's uh that's a big yikes. So and, and then like continuing their pitching woes, though, their bullpen, Carlos Hernandez, who does have promise. Um, but then you've got Amir Garrett, who is not the same guy that he was for what two seasons in Cincinnati. Um, and then they brought in a Roldis Chapman, which he, if you watched him last year, yikes. I do not see that going particularly well, especially on a team who really doesn't have any other pitchers. Um, but we'll see what brand new manager Matt Quattraro. Can do with this uh, with this pitching staff. Yeah. So, oh, that's the biggest thing. We, we talked about it, I think, in our New Year's resolutions that the Royals need to figure something out on the pitching side because even though we kind of like the lineup, we can see the makings of a decent lineup. This pitching so bad, they're not going to be able to overcome it. This team is going to be just dreadful this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if they give up like six, seven runs a game. Well, that's a lot. But if they give up like five and a half to six runs a game, I would not be shocked. Like, that's, that's how so bad. bad this is. Yeah. Like, uh, and I don't get their moves either. Like, okay, one thing to bring back Zach Greinke, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's got a lot of, uh, like, it, it. it's important that they brought him back. I'm fine with that. But why yes. do you go out and get... Jordan Lyles, like, I don't see what that does for you. Why not let any of those guys that you have tr- now slated for AAA at least uh, eat up those innings? Yeah, we know like, what Jordan Lyles is. He doesn't really do much for the this team. Like, he has no ceiling whatsoever. Yeah, and, like, you could maybe see an argument for Ryan Yarbrough. Maybe. Like, he's been a, a good pitcher in the past uh, He with the Rays and, like, the Rays kind of just do what they do and deal people all over the place and just put together a team. So maybe he's still got something there and the Rays were just ready to move on. I don't know. Um, but Brad Keller, Jordan Lyles, like, what are we doing? Just yeah. throw in Daniel Lynch and Jackson Cowart. Just see what I they could do. This team it's really needs worse. It. Why not sign a legit, like, mid-rotation starter instead of just, like, a back-end guy? Like, Why didn't they go sign Michael Waka? Yeah, that would have been a much better addition for the team. He at least is younger, and he's much better than than Lyles. Yeah. 
But yeah, this team, uh, they're trying to be what the Guardians are. Uh, they still have a couple of prospects, too, um, that are going to be coming up this year. And the likes of, oh, shoot. I've got Probably to find Nick it now. Prado at some point. Yes, Nick Prado. Uh, they've got Nick Lofton. Frank, uh, no, Frank Mazzucato is way off. Um, he's he's way out there in the future. Asa Lacey is kind of an interesting one. Could he, if their rotation is as bad as we think it is, do you think they might try and rush Asa Lacey through? I don't see. I feel like they're very much in the middle of a rebuild right now, that they will not be trying to rush people through the system. I mean, if that young offensive core actually starts to break out, they're going to probably try and do something. This is a division that's within grasp. I mean... You put together even some semblance of a rotation, you could you could be up there in the top two in this division. Like, yeah, that's very true. So, I don't know. So let's go back to someone a little bit more positive than the uh, Royals, though, and let's talk a little bit about. Well, what do you think? The Tigers or the Twins? Uh, let's talk about the uh, Twins. Talk about the Twins. All right. Um, so this Minnesota Twins team, as we were talking about a little, a uh, little bit ago, 2021 did not go well for them. 2022 went actually fairly well for them. They had Carlos Correa, uh, producing, um, to the point where he opted for free agency, ended up coming back after his whole health, uh, physical saga thing, uh, where he was on three teams in the course of like two weeks or whatever. Um, they saw an absolute breakout in batting champion Luis Arise. Um, they saw guys like Jose Miranda come up and produce at a really high level. And their pitching staff managed to hold it together. I mean, Joe Ryan broke out as a rookie. Bailey Ober, who we thought might do fairly well last year, didn't end up doing so well. Um, he's back in the minors right now, probably going to start the year there as well. But then that team went and added the likes of Pablo Lopez, Joey Gallo, Christian Vasquez behind the plate to uh, replace a not very effective Gary Sanchez. So, like, this is a team that saw what was possible with this team and is trying to capitalize on that. They did have to give up Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez. Um, So you lose a batting champion to get who is your ace. Probably not an ace on every team, um, but an ace for the rotation that they have. So some really interesting moves. How is that going to affect this team this year? I do like the moves that they made on the pitching side for sure. Um, Bringing in Lopez, Kenta Maeda's back from his injury. I think they have more depth than they've had in the past with, um, you know, more interesting starters in the minors. Like, so basically since they brought in Lopez, now a guy like Bailey over can start the season at AAA or in the bullpen or something. They've got Josh Winder. They've got Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, so they've actually got like intriguing backup options and all their starting pitchers that are in the rotation, including Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Malley, and Maeda. They're all quality big leaguers and they're probably going to give them a very high floor. Um, the only thing is, like you said, they don't have an ace. They don't have a starting pitcher ace. They don't have a 
Dylan Cease or Lucas Giolito caliber talent on this staff. Maybe Lopez turns out to be that guy, but he hasn't quite been up to that level, in my opinion. Uh, I, I I think that's going to be a tr- uh, an issue for them. And and then the other thing is they have the same problem where these guys have not like done Actually, I saw this with the Tigers. They have the same issue as the Tigers, which we haven't talked about yet, but none of these starters have like put up full seasons in a while, other than Lopez, who did it last year. Uh, so how, how they manage their way through a full season trying to get these five guys through, it's going to be tough. I think they've got some of the depth to do it. Um, on offense, the Correa thing, that's just huge for them, bringing him back. Um, yeah. Probably without Correa, they're like maybe the third best team in this division. Adding him now makes them like, I'd say, pretty close to the Guardians. I, uh, yeah, I would I would almost say it's a 1A, 1B situation without knowing how anything's going to pan out this year. Just looking on paper, like there's definitely reasons to like this Twins team more than the Guardians team. From uh, just the standpoint of there's six guys on this Twins team that could potentially be 20 home run guys. You've got Buxton. You've got Correa. You've got Polanco. You've got Kepler, Jose Miranda, and Joey Gallo. All could be 20 home run guys. Um, Something that the Guardians just don't have. They have, what, maybe two? J-Ram and Jimenez? Jimenez hit close to 20, and then Naylor hit almost 20, I think. Okay, so they've got maybe three to the six on the Twins. And then the Twins do have Alex Kirloff and Trevor Larnick, who both were really high-rated prospects in their own right, um, haven't really broken out yet in the majors. Kirloff was a lot of injuries the last couple of years, but last year he did fairly well when on the field. So, And then you've got uh, Nick Gordon, who is, I think, probably a really underrated guy, too. So like this is a... Um, not not a big power guy, but he's he's quick. He's got a pretty good bat, um, so he'll be slotting into that uh, road, or that lineup quite a bit. So this is a team that, if things click offensively, I'm not sure it really matters if they don't have an ace type for the regular season. Um, I do have a question that pro- kind of encompasses all the teams. So remind me in a minute to ask you about the balanced schedule. Um, but let's talk about the, the Tigers real quick, and then we'll kind of come back to the division as a whole. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so this Detroit Tigers team is kind of starting on the low end of this division. Uh, last year, I think they were fourth, if I remember right. I think the only team worse was Kansas City. Uh, yeah, they might have been last. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, but this is a Tigers team that has been really interesting, kind of up and down the last couple of years in expectations. Um, results always seem to be the same. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but um, we have uh, this Tigers team returning a lot of their players. Um, Guys like Javi Baez that's going to be over there manning a uh, shortstop. You've got Miggy who's going to be DHing quite a bit for his final season. Um, kind of the big thing for them is in, I believe, the catching department. Um, and then 
uh, they've got a couple of additions that they brought through trade and like bringing in Nick Maton and Matt Veerling from Philly. They brought in, uh, brought in, they got back Matt Boyd um, and brought in Michael Lorenzen. Um, but their big thing is the prospects that they're already in the majors, Riley green, Spencer Torkelson. Um, we need to see breakouts from them. And Riley green had a, a fairly good start last year when he came up. I think he kind of flamed out a little bit, but he's a young guy. So eh, whatever. Um, but they really need to start figuring it out at the big league level. If this team is going to be able to do anything. Yep. Totally. So, like th- this season's all about those young players taking the next step. Uh, Torkelson, Riley green, another guy, Kerry Carpenter, who actually played really well. He had like six home runs and a hundred some plate appearances last year. Um, and then the players they traded for in Mayton and Veerling maybe carving out roles, everyday roles. Um, the issue with the Tigers was they just were <laughs> abysmal in every regard. I was going to like try to say that they were bad at hitting, which is absolutely true. They were the worst hitting team in the league, but just all around, they were just so bad last year. Um, they had major, like, just collapses by Javier Baez, Jonathan Scope, um, Akil Badu. None of these guys were the players they had been in the past. I don't know really what was going on in Detroit. Hopefully things are different with a new GM. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to help them with the on-field product, but like it can't get worse than last year, right? Like you got to see some, some improvement for some of those players, just, just natural regression. And then also the young players making some strides here. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're looking at guys like Javi Baez, he's got me. He's not bad. There's no way. No, like he has some pretty big flaws in his game and they're, they're pretty obvious. It's the strikeout rate mostly. Um, But there's no way that he is as bad as he was last year. It just doesn't make any sense. He cut his strikeout rate to the lowest it had been in years last year. Well, there's your problem. Tell him to strike out more. He'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this team just, I don't know what it is because they have a great manager in AJ Hinch. I don't know if there's something in the air. That ballpark. I probably shouldn't make a something in the water joke about Detroit. Um, yeah, they're they're bringing in the walls, uh, so that might help out a little bit. Um, especially they're out in dead center field. Maybe getting a few more home runs will help them out just a bit. Um, but I, I honestly, I really wish that I could say that their hitting was worse than their pitching, but I honestly don't think it was. I, yeah. I think because their starting rotation last year and, and even coming into this year, like. It, Erod was hurt most of last year, right? He was hurt and he was on the restricted list for a while too, with a kind of a weird situation going on. That what happened with? Really... Oh, so what happened with Casey Mize? Casey Mize got hurt. He, and uh, he's Tommy John. He's, he'll be out okay. for a year. Oh, he's out for the whole season. Dang. Uh, bringing back Matt Boyd. We know how I feel about Matt Boyd. Not particularly great. Um, but like Matt Manning didn't really <coughs> play very well. Spencer Turnbull, I think was out last year with Tommy John. Um, Tarek Skubal, uh, did he end up getting hurt? 
Yeah, he's got a flexor strain. He's probably going to miss a good chunk of the year. Yeah, so like that's been a huge, huge issue for this Tigers team. And that was a rotation of a lot of really young, really highly um, highly valued prospects there in, in Mize, Manning, Scooble, um, and guys who had been really good recent, or as recent as like two years ago in Turnbull and uh, Erod. Um, and Lorenzen pro- proved out in um, L.A. that he can actually start every six games and actually be fairly decent. So yeah, maybe he's for like multiple months in the middle of the year, but yeah, I agree with your point and, and leads into my point about their issue. How are they going to cover the 1400 some innings that you need to cover baseball season? All five of their starting pitchers that are slated to start in the rotation pitched fewer than 100 innings last year. So that's a major issue. Yeah. And was Matt Manning's injury related or because he was down in triple A most of the year? It was uh, injury related. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> so they, right. every single one of their guys was injured last year. Uh, or coming or in Turnbull's case, he didn't even pitch at all last year. So, uh, okay. So would it be safe to say that if even one player on the Tigers stays healthy, that they will be better than last year? <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. I was okay. trying to pre-show. I was trying to come up with something nice to say about the Tigers. I think I got one thing here. They're going to have really good up-the-middle defense with Javier Baez and 2022's outs-above-average leader, Jonathan Scope. See, I think Nick Maton's going to end up taking over the second-base job. And they got I think- third base completely open. That's a good point. You don't have a third baseman. I don't know. Put Matt Veerling out in center field. Let him uh, play defense out there. You got Riley Green. Like, there is hope for this team. I think there's more hope for the offense of the Royals, but as a a team as a whole, I think this Tigers team is probably still going to end up doing better than the Royals just because that pitching staff in, in Kansas City, yikes, with a capital Y. Yikes here um, too in Detroit. And so. maybe maybe an upside down exclamation point before the yikes and we say it in Spanish. Mm. Mm. That's how that's how big of a yikes that is. Um so I kind of want to talk a little bit about the division as a whole before we wrap up here. So th- this division, I think we've kind of beaten the dead horse in saying it's not very good. Um there's definitely things to like about it. But I think those things to like are going to be more effective in interdivision play. This year, we're getting the balanced schedule. So we're actually seeing fewer games against each of the teams. It's going from what, 19, 19 games each? 19 yeah. to 14. So you're cutting uh, 20 games against divisional opponents, which is a pretty significant amount of the season. That's what 12.5% of the season. So how is that going to affect just this division as a whole? I imagine we're going to start seeing a little bit more parity here between maybe some of or this division and some of the, the more powerhouse divisions like the um, national league West, the American league East. Like that's kind of what I'm seeing. Like you're going to see these t- uh, teams like last year's guardians who were 88 wins. 
maybe they play exactly the same, but end up with only 84, 85, 86 wins this year. Yeah, that's absolutely what I think. And that's what the projections think too. So looking at the Zips one, we had referenced that the White Sox were projected to win 74 games. Division winner is projected only win 83, and that's the Guardians, with the mm-hmm. Twins coming in at 80 wins, uh, Tigers at 71, and Royals at 70. So you could easily see a strong American League division like the East just basically picking up a few wins, extra wins that they get from playing a few more extra games against the Central and Central take those losses. So, Yeah, so it's definitely – I really like that they're doing that across baseball, doing a balanced schedule where you see every team every year. I do think that it is going to show a little bit more parity, which in the short term, not great. Maybe it drives some of these teams to spend a little bit more money to actually go out and invest in their their teams a little bit more – from not just an on the field now, but a uh, farm system standpoint as well. So maybe we'll see that in the future in uh, this division and what I has, will be talking about here in a couple weeks, the National League Central's in pretty much the same boat. Um, but hopefully we see it improve here in the future. But for right now, how would you... If you were to assign a value... On, let's say, a one to five scale. Uh, Or maybe if you don't like one to five, if you prefer it with like subjective terms. Um, Let's let's go from a hitting standpoint. uh, Dreadful. Bad. Mid. Good. Elite. For just this division as a whole. Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, the level up from dreadful. With the uh, bad. Yeah, I think it's like pretty bad overall. When you got the Tigers weighing the whole division down, basically, um, the other offenses aren't, you know, world beaters either. None of them are with the Twins and probably, well, Twins, White Sox, and Guardians all have, you know, average offenses maybe with the chance to be a little bit better potentially. Yeah, I really only see maybe one offense really taking off to be in that good category. I don't really see. I I could maybe if the twins just absolutely go off, see them getting into that, like what was it? 2019 uh, Bomba squad level offense. They don't quite have that potential. There may be a little bit below that is their ceiling, but I think the rest of it's going to be in the, the mid to bad. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think the, the uncertainty of the Royals and then just that Tigers team really drags it down into the bad range. Uh, what would you say from a pitching standpoint? Uh, this one's a little tough because with the Tigers and the Royals, they're clearly very poor pitching teams as we've discussed here. Then you've got the Guardians who do it so well, so that's kind of balances it out a little bit more. White Sox also, I feel like, have strong pitching on their roster right now. And the twins are also fair to a probably an above average team when you include their bullpen, which is very good as well. So I would say that what's the level above bad? That's like the middle, the mid. Yeah, mid, just like average. That's where I'm gonna have to put them just because of the two very bad squads. 
Yeah, I, I can see that as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. The There's a lot of parity in the pitching in this division. Like, you've got the Guardians up here. Just their pitching, or their rotation and their bullpen, both really, really good. Um, with Karen Chack and Class A in, in the bullpen, after your Bieber, McKenzie, um, Quantrill, fill in two other guys here, and they're going to be really good. Um you lose a little bit with the depth with the White Sox, but the guys that they're putting on the field to start, definitely above average. You've got two abysmal teams. It drags it way down, and then kind of an average to maybe slightly above for for the uh, Twins there. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. So um, I, I think the plan here, in case it wasn't obvious, is uh, which it probably wasn't because I didn't explain it. Uh, so here, I'll explain it now. I'm kind of thinking that over the next, uh, I guess it'll be five more weeks, we're going to basically rate the hitting and the pitching from a subjective standpoint to put them all side by side so that we can ultimately decide which division is the best um, and do it with kind of a a subjective, yet we have a data point that we're thinking of just on its own sort of thing. And so ultimately it's ranking at one through five. It's just using descriptions to do it. And then we'll kind of figure out which division is the best. So um, that's my thinking there. You like that idea or not? That sounds good. I think AL Central is going to be the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Um, NL Central won't be a ton better, but I definitely think there's a couple things there to to improve it. Um, But so we'll get to those here in a couple of weeks. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about with the American League Central? Um, yeah, I, th- I think the the race is actually quite interesting, even though these teams are not overall amazing. I, I do think that the three top teams are going to stick pretty close from hopefully a lot of this season. And it's going to be, kind of interesting to see who comes up on top because I, I can't really say definitively. I think one of these three teams is better than the other two. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I think if I were to make a, uh, a prediction now, I would be predicting based on depth. Like which team do I think is able to fill any potential hole throughout the season, the best. And as we kind of discussed earlier, I would pick Cleveland. Um, I think they're very beatable, though. I think yep. if the White Sox hold together, it could be their division. If the Twins offense does what I think it can do and their pitching doesn't fall apart, they could very much win this division. So, yeah, yeah. it's Buxton stays healthy for a year. That changes the equation completely. Yeah, if Buxton stays healthy for a full year, this is the Twins division and no one else can touch it. So, but that dude is Mike Trout on the field. He is also, surprisingly, kind of Mike Trout off the field. (laughs) At least the last couple of years. So, but, although he doesn't put up 40 bombs still. So. That's because he just hasn't played enough games to do it. Yeah, but Mike Trout's played like only 100 games. It like 20, he had 28 home runs in 90 games, I think, last year. Okay, so he's kind of Mike Trout on the field. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
I think that does it for us tonight for the American League Central. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like and subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms and YouTube. Make sure to hit the little notification bell on YouTube so that you see any future episodes that we post. Check us out on our other channel, Getaway Day Cards, um, where we will be doing a 2023 Top Series 1 break uh, amongst uh, myself, Gautham, and a couple of our other friends who you guys have seen on here before. Uh, So that'll be fun. Um, You can also find us on social media at Getaway Day Pod across, uh, let's see, what is that? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Um, So make sure to let us know your thoughts on the episode. Uh, If you think that our takes on the American League Central are just completely off base and you want to tell us why the Detroit Tigers are going to win the division and the Central is the best division in Major League Baseball, let us know. Uh, Thank you very, very much for hanging out with us tonight. And we will see you guys back here next week. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube so that you never miss a future episode. On YouTube, you got to hit that subscribe button and that little notification bell to get notifications. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod.